0: You're listening to KBVR Corvallis, and this is Mystic Yarn, writing from the fog and beyond. I'm your host, Celine Ross. Today we have a story by Loretta Vell, a recent graduate from the MFA program at Oregon State. Loretta's story, Javi, is a colorful and touching exploration of how we remember the dead. Listen as she takes us to a Dia de los Muertos festival in Southern Texas. Enjoy.
1: My name is Loretta Vell, and this is my story, Javi. I'm at this free family festival outside the Museum of South Texas History with Gabby. We're in the middle of a crowd, marigolds all around, mariachi loco blasting. It's the first Saturday of November, and as always, it's hot as hell. Everyone's bouncing and clapping along to the beat of the music, and some middle-aged guy lets out a long, strong whistle. Not like the ticked-off type that Javi and I would use to call after Chancla when she'd escape through the hole in the backyard fence. Not like the ones that slither out of passenger windows for pretty girls like Gabby, even when I've got my arms slung around her neck and my nose in her hair either. No, it's more like the pound of Chancla's heart as she'd race to the alley's far end, paws gracing the pavement so quick it's like she's flying. It's the expansion of my lungs as I breathe in Gabby's coconut shampoo. It's a whistle that says, I'm proud, and I'm claiming this feeling as long as I can. The guys on stage stomp their alligator skin boots in intricate heel-toe patterns, the silver chains and tassels of their charro suits rattling along to the music. At the ends of their fingertips, girls twirl and wave their colorful skirts like flags. All of the folklorico dancers have their faces painted like skulls, dark pits where their eyes should be, grins etched across their lips and cheeks. The guys keep shuffling in place, tip-tapping, and the girls swoop their skirts in dizzying swirls, spinning, spinning. With each turn, they flick their chins over their shoulders so that their gazes never leave the audience, skull faces floating while their vibrant bodies blur. Gabby's got her hands clasped together and pressed close to her heart, moving her shoulders side to side with the music, totally feeling it. Usually I'd be right there with her and everyone else in the crowd, clapping, hollering, but not this time. I can't look at the stage anymore. Instead, I take out my phone and pull up a picture of Javi, the last picture I ever took of him. It was the start of summer, two years ago, only a few weeks before he died we just graduated from UTRGV with useless music degrees, and Javi's parents threw a big barbecue in their backyard to celebrate. His dad must have been busy chatting with guests and plopping fajitas and pico onto paper plates because I caught Javi sneaking a beer from the fridge inside the house. We were old enough to drink, but it was his fourth or fifth of the night, which his dad wouldn't have liked. He'd have told Javi to slow down, and with good reason. Javi was tall and skinny like me, A total lightweight, and already too drunk to dress his beer with salt and lime. That's how I found him, the moment I caught on camera. Javi, smiling with his stupid dimples. Salt dumped all over the kitchen counter, his Modelo overflowing with foam. I touch two fingers to my phone screen and zoom in on his face. He's not looking at the camera, but beyond it. Right at the photographer. At me. His eyes are wide and gleaming, the way they always got when he laughed too hard. And we were always doing dumb stuff like that. Always laughing until we cried. Wait till your dad sees this mess, I said. No paparazzi, cut it with the documenting. How else will I prove it wasn't me? Like my dad would ever blame you, Lalo, Javi said, laughing, scooping salt and carrying it to the sink, one handful at a time. He was right. We both knew I wasn't any wiser than him, and still, over the 10 years that we'd been friends, Javi's parents counted on me to keep him out of trouble. They loved to call me their favorite son, especially in front of him. For as long as I could remember, any time we'd leave Javi's house together, his mom would plant a firm kiss on his cheek, and before sending us both off with the sign of the cross, she'd pat my shoulder like she was trusting me with something neither of us could name. Gabby tugs at my elbow, tells me to look, look. She's pointing at a man on stilts who's making his way through the crowd, playing the trumpet. He's wearing a turquoise and silver charro suit and a massive sombrero to match. And his face is painted black and white like a skull, just like the dancers on stage. He stops playing every now and then to take a breath and smile at the people below. Against the white paint on his skin, his teeth are an off-putting yellow. Gabby's all smiles too. She's new to this Tex-Mex culture, just having moved here from New Orleans for school. Full ride, a spot on the varsity volleyball team, the whole enchilada. I met her on campus a couple months ago. I never returned the keys to the practice rooms in the music building, and nobody's asked for them, so I still hang around there most mornings before clocking in at Blue Onion. It was one of these mornings at the start of the semester in late August that I spotted her for the first time. Long, dark legs, big hair, wide-set eyes. She walked with a little bounce in her step that made her curls bounce, too. She looked like she was from another world, and she was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen. The song ends, and the man on stilts holds his trumpet to his chest, waiting like a soldier at attention for the music to strike up again. The dancers shuffle off the stage, and an announcer takes their place. She's in a poofy red gown and a crown of oversized red roses made of crepe paper. Her face is painted like a skull too, with glittery red and gold accents around the pits of her eyes and cheekbones. On her forehead, like a third eye, a shimmery red and gold heart. Hello, hello, Feliz Dia de los Muertos, she says into an echoey mic. We hope you're enjoying our festival on this very special day. Today we remember, today we celebrate. The announcer pauses to let the crowd cheer, then starts talking about the food trucks and other vendors, pointing at the tents on the opposite end of the courtyard, and reminds us to check out the ofrendas by local artists and families that are on display inside the museum. The kids riding on their dad's shoulders are getting antsy, whining and itching for the next performance or a snack, and I know the raspa and paleta truck is going to make a killing. Women fan themselves with the festival programs, though their makeup has already begun to melt. We also have a station inside where you can write prayers and notes for your loved ones who have passed on to the next life. The announcer says, gesturing to the museum behind us with an outstretched arm, and it looks like she's reaching for the sky. I've never tried talking to Javi's spirit or anything, but during the first few months without him, I couldn't help but feel like he was sending me signs, and I hated it. I'm back into the groove now, playing cello most days, but it took months after he died for me to get myself back to practice. All because I didn't like to come across the doodles he'd made in the margins of my sheet music. I hated how the stupid junk he'd drawn during class could bring me to tears. Almost as much as I hated that I'd never get to hear him play again. That if I ever auditioned for the Valley Symphony Orchestra, like we said we would one day, he wouldn't be there with me, competing for a chair. You all right? Gabby asked, gently squeezing my forearm. Of course, I say. I give her a quick kiss on the cheek to prove it, to make sure I'm not bringing her down. When I pull away, I take in the sight of her. Everything about her is glistening, her skin reflecting the sun, her eyes all shine. She darts them back and forth between mine, like she's searching me for the truth. Though I don't talk about him much, I've told her about Javi, that he was my friend, and now he's gone good, she decides, smiling. You hungry? Before I know it, she's holding my hand and tugging me along. We weave our way out of the crowd and head straight for the food trucks. In line for birria tacos, she does a funny dance, bouncing up and down on her toes. She gets like this when it's almost time to eat, extra bubbly and excited. She knows I think it's cute. Taco, 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 she sings, bobbing her head side to side. I give a little smile. Baby, she says, seeing through me. This is a happy day, a happy place. Look around. You're not wrong, I say, shrugging. When am I ever? She smiles and squeezes my hand. Hobby would want you to have fun. Gabby never knew Hobby, so I don't know why she's acting all wise like she knows what you'd want. But I have to admit that what she's saying might be true. Javi's family has always been big on celebrating the Day of the Dead. I actually didn't grow up celebrating this holiday, not in a traditional sense, not until I became like part of Javi's family. My mom never set up an ofrenda in the house, an altar with pictures of our dead ancestors and plates of pan dulce, cases of beer, or whatever else we might offer to them in the afterlife. It freaks her out, I think, sending messages to ghosts. Pray the rosary, mijito she likes to tell me that's how we can free souls from purgatory prayer 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 every day but whereas my mom grew up in the church in small town South Texas Javi's mom is from Mexico City where the party with the spirits lasts for days on end at this time of year I used to come to this event with his family every year I tell Gabby Javi's mom was super into it she did the skull makeup on herself really detailed and colorful she painted us up too And I'm not talking homemade, kindergartner with and markers looking B.S. We look legit. She was a pro. I love the makeup, Gabby says. Everybody looks so beautiful. I almost forget they're supposed to be dead. Dos órdenes para Lalo. The guy at the window of the birria truck calls out. Gabby perks up at the sound of my name and I go with her to grab our plates and extra napkins. There are tables, but they're all occupied, most of them overcrowded by families with too many kids, stealing little containers of salsa from each other's plates just to bug each other. Around another table is a group of older women wearing too much makeup and jingly jewelry, fanning themselves, sipping limeade from styrofoam cups, and gossiping in Spanglish. At a separate table, sweaty beer cans, mustaches, droopy earlobes, cowboy hats, and pot bellies. Must be their husbands. Gabby and I eat standing up, walk around the courtyard, and browse the vendor booths selling hand-painted trinkets and decorations, leather hats and purses, bright-colored jewelry and art. Gabby tries on a wide-brim hat with embroidered flowers, looks in the handheld mirror, takes the hat off, and puts it back on the display. You think his family will be here today? She asks. I don't know. I don't think they'd come without him, but maybe. I can't say for sure what they're doing today. Not that I haven't wanted to be, but it's been a long time since I've been in touch with Javi's family. Once Javi passed, it didn't make much sense for me to drop by their house anymore, though I wish I could go over for dinner and sit at their table again. I used to love how lively and wild their place was compared to mine, where it's just my mom and me. But now that Javi's gone, I imagine the usual sounds of their house— Javi's dad belly laughing at all of his own jokes, his sisters chasing each other, letting out high-pitched screams and giggles, his mom yelling at them to cut it out, warning them that they'd better not make her come over there, hushed now without him. It's hard for me to picture them falling back into their regular lives, though they probably have by now, just like me. Still, I can't imagine his whole family getting ready for the festival and coming out here to sing and dance and cheer for the dead. I bet they'll do something special in honor of Javi at home. I wonder which picture of him they've put on their ofrenda. Next to the photos of Javi's bisabuelos, his abuela Silvia who passed away before he was born, and their mutt Chancla who died when we were in high school. Chancla passed in the summertime too, like Javi. Out of nowhere, she'd started limping, and they took her to the vet to find that both her hind legs had basically given out. She was old. Soon, she could barely walk, and Javi had to carry her from her doggy bed to the couch when we wanted to pet her. Before long, his parents decided to put Chancla down. We still came to the festival that year, but I remember his mom cried during the mariachi performance of Amor Eterno. And on the way home, we stopped to buy a huge bag of dog treats for the ofrenda. These are so cute, Gabby says, holding up a pair of earrings. Dangling from the hooks are two pastel pink roses and two tiny skulls. I'll get them for you, I say, pulling out my wallet. Stop, no, I'll get them, she says, fumbling through her purse. She always puts up a fight when I try to buy her anything. Even when she visits me at Blue Onion and I refuse to bring her the bill, she still wants to leave me a tip every time. Part of me loves that about her, although I can't help but wonder if she feels sorry for me, like she wants to help me save up, move out of my mom's and do something with my life. You're gonna have to be quicker than that, I say, handing the money to the woman running the booth who gives me an approving wink. Gabby rolls her eyes, but she's smiling. She puts the earrings on right away. Thanks, Lalo, she says. And thanks for bringing me here. I love it. Instead of looking her in the eyes, I find myself staring at one of the skulls hanging from her ears, caught in its empty gaze. It's a little weird, I finally say, but I'm glad you're having a good time. You know what's a little weird, she says, dipping her head and peering up at me so that our eyes meet. How far off you seem right now. Me? Far off? Don't you mean far out? I shoot her a peace sign. Sure, she says, and I can tell she's trying hard not to pry. Even if she did, I wouldn't know what to say, and I think she must figure as much. I wish I didn't have to put it into words and that she'd just get it, but what kind of jerk would I be if I expected that from her, or anyone? Well, what's really weird is that you haven't asked me to dance yet, she says, trying to get me to loosen up. Oh, Gabby, come on, I start to protest, but she's already pulling me toward the middle of the courtyard, now full of couples dancing along to salsa music playing on the loudspeakers. Groups of little kids are holding hands and running around in circles, bumping into each other and toppling over. We find an empty space on the dance floor, and Gabby slings her arms around my neck. I grab her by the waist and try my best to lead, stepping side to side in some lame attempt at basic salsa. Gabby's tossing her head back, laughing, grabbing my hand, and twirling herself under my arm over and over. She doesn't even care how bad I am at this. If Javi could see me now, he wouldn't believe it. He was better looking than me, so he got more action than I did, but neither of us ever got much. I'll admit it, we were orchestra geeks. Neither of us could have expected to pull a girl like Gabby. She's what Javi would have called a triple threat. Beauty, brains, and a baller, too. And on top of it all, she actually likes me. I can almost hear Javi's voice in my head, giving me crap. Her? With you? Something's not adding up, he'd say, slapping me on the back, laughing. I watch her spinning around, her toned arms stretching up to my fingertips, her hair whipping her face, the tiny skulls floating amid her curls. She lets go of my hand and starts dancing on her own, clapping and moving her hips like a total natural. And yet, I can't match her energy. The people around us are probably looking at me like I'm an idiot, just standing here while this gorgeous girl does all the dancing. Come on, isn't this the point? To celebrate life? I don't know why, but I'm looking at Gabby and I wanna tell her that everything, this festival, her earrings, the haunted street tours in her city, All of it is just a way to make money, nothing more. But I'm sure she gets that, and I realize I'm being stupid. She's trying to show me something bigger. I wanna agree with her, to tell her it's beautiful, isn't it? That we celebrate death in this way. But all I can think about is the funeral, how that was the last time I saw Javi's parents. How, when his mom hugged me, my frame so similar to her son's, She sobbed into my collar for what felt like forever, because I wasn't him. I'd never been so mad at Javi for being the idiot he was. I'll never understand what happened to him, never know where to go for the answers. Nobody knows. He was the only one there. He drove into a tree not far from my mom's house. It was late, dark. He was in his dad's truck, the old Chevy he wasn't allowed to use. He didn't have his own car, so I'd usually drive him everywhere. Wherever he'd been that night, why I wasn't with him, why he didn't just call me, I'll never know. And I hate him for that. Except it doesn't feel right to hate Javi, who had his reasons for everything, and who, besides, is dead. It doesn't feel right to think of him as a dancing skeleton, either, and I don't know how to explain any of this to Gabby. I feel my head getting hot like I might cry, but instead I take a deep breath And motion for her to follow me off the dance floor i'm sorry i say gently stroking her arm i just don't feel like dancing right now i get that she nods just because people are dancing and singing doesn't mean that's what's happening on the other side you know yeah i know but who are we to say it's a nice idea at least she says And something about the simple way she shrugs her shoulders, her soft smile, her pretty eyes, makes the warmth in my head melt down through the rest of me. I plant a kiss on her cheek. Wanna go inside the museum? Check out the ofrendas? I ask. And she's got my hand in hers again, leading the way to where the AC's on blast, and the displays are much bigger and more beautiful than I'd expected. We stop in front of an altar with multiple tiers covered in marigolds, candles with images of Saint Jude and Jesus on them, plates of tamales, cans of beans and other foods, and tons of photos. Some of them are glamorous black and white headshots of young people from another time. Others are pictures of yajitos with sagging skin and wrinkles by their kind eyes. Just a couple of years ago, I would have assumed that they must be the same people as the ones in the black and white pictures, just older. But who knows? Maybe those in the glamour shots died at that age. My mom has Javi's mom on Facebook, tells me his mom posts pictures of him every now and then. She showed me this one of him in middle school, somewhere around the time we became friends. He's wearing a black button-down and black slacks. Back then, he wore sports glasses, the kind that looked like goggles with a strap that wraps around the back of the head, though he never played anything other than cello. He's standing next to his cello case, which is comically large next to his tiny body. I took this, my mom said. It's cropped. You're over here somewhere. She circled her finger in the air to the left of her phone screen, the empty space I once filled. It hit me that I had been part of that moment that pause in time as we held still for a photo before our middle school orchestra concert and i would never be there again i wonder if that's how javi feels wherever he is now i wonder if i could ever come anywhere close to understanding what it was like to be dead without actually dying i float past the other ofrendas for a while before i realize gabby's not walking alongside me anymore when I come across the prayer writing station, I find her already there, scribbling something onto a note card. For my grandma, she says once she puts down her pen. Want to write something too? Maybe later, I say, and Gabby nods. It's hard to find the right words, she says. Gabby folds her card in half and drops it into a little white box where all the love notes to the dead are supposed to go. And I don't feel the need, not at all, to ask her what it said.
0: Loretta Vell is a fiction writer from the southern tip of Texas. She lives in Corvallis, Oregon, where she recently earned her MFA in creative writing at Oregon State University. She now works at OSU as a full-time writing instructor. Piano music by Jonas Myers. Jonas is a musician, writer, and recent graduate of the MFA program in fiction from Oregon State University. He's now based in Port Townsend, Washington. Mystic Yarn is produced by me, Celine Ross. Mystic Yarn will return next month with more writing from the Pacific Northwest, here on KBVR Corvallis. Thanks for listening.